Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays Amin's floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get Amin in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Tom, Restaurant Wars has come early to Top Chef. And this time, sadly, we're not hammered drunk off of Rosé and sweating our tails off in, uh, in Lexington. Very sad. This is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Haverstrow. Tom, total curveball by the good team at Top Chef. Restaurant Wars got going a week early. Very interesting little development. I don't know how I feel, and I'll get to this in a second. I'm a little conflicted, but what say you? Yeah, it was it was definitely a curveball. I actually um, I was surprised because I, it wasn't front of mind when I started watching because I thought this was Restaurant Wars episode, and it didn't occur to me that once the quick fire came out, I was like, wait, that means that today's not Restaurant Wars. And then they, you know, slowly gave that reveal. It's kind of bummed out because I think in my head I was I was getting sunk down into my couch ready for Restaurant Wars. And it's a two-day Restaurant Wars. And, I'm, you know, what? I don't want to 
pass judgment on the idea of of splicing it out into two different episodes until we see what happens in the second episode. Because my my concern here is that the winner's curse might happen. Is someone who has the idea of the restaurant, the concept of the restaurant, might actually have more responsibility in the second episode. Uh, and therefore, if they screw up even a little bit, it's going to fall on them because it was their quote-unquote restaurant. Whereas in past seasons, it's kind of a group effort, right? It's kind of a all hands on deck. Let's come up with our idea, our themes, our menu. Whereas this time around, I feel like Gregory and Kevin are going to just have a little bit more on their plate, so to speak. I do want to tease that we are going to have shortly. Stay tuned. Do you say stay tuned on the podcast? Stay tuned. Chef Eric Agjapon is going to be with us. Yes! Shortly, yes. we're going to get through kind of the headlines, and then we're going to bring in Chef Eric. Thrilled about this. But, Tom, my primary misgiving is a little bit different. I'm not sure I like it, and this is the reason. One of the great tension points of Restaurant Wars is the battle over vision, the battle over who is going to serve as executive chef, what the restaurant's going to look at, right. look like. You know, there's a lot of ego involved that first 15 minutes where they're sitting there with a the notepad and and this one is piping in and this person sort of taking the back seat, maybe even by strategy. I like that. I'll reserve full judgment, but I like that tension that comes out of starting from scratch. Who takes charge? And I'm with you in this sense. I mean, I suppose there's something affirming about having your restaurant selected. But as you have pointed out, Tom, and I, I'm sure you might have the stats, uh, if not at your fingertips, you can summarize them for us. It is understood that you will go home. Pro the only people who generally go home, with a few exceptions, I don't know how many exceptions there are, are the executive chef at Restaurant Wars or front of the house. Right. So by, quote, rewarding Gregory and Kevin, and that's great. Hey, they get they get the bragging rights for a week. Congratulations. You just increased the possibility of elimination by like 60% next week. Here's your, here's your prize for for your for your winning pitch. I'm with you. Uh, I I hadn't considered that the idea that right now we kind of lose that that scramble the the ego check of hey you're front of house you're the executive chef you're the sous chef like that is that is a fundamental element and a huge draw of restaurant wars is that awkwardness and just seeing who's the alpha who's seeing who's going to feel like they've been cornered out of the conversation now we might still get a little of that in the next episode Kevin but i do agree that this curveball uh, just like they did last year, where an early er, or two years ago was the early. Uh, wait, was it last year? Was it last year we went to? Uh, yeah, no, it was, yeah, it was last season. Yeah, it was last season. last season. Um, the last season when they did an early restaurant wars this year, because maybe there's a lot more. I don't know, veterans on this staff, they wanted to kind of kick it up a notch and have all of them pitch their restaurants, which I get it. Because there's there's Top Chef Masters people on this show. There's uh, – I mean, shit. We got Brian Malarkey who's opened approximately – I wrote it down – 305 restaurants in the past six months. So we've got some people who have, who have a lot of experience down this way. So maybe the whole idea of like com, um, a communal brain trust of – 
building a restaurant together might not have been as smooth. But maybe that is kind of the draw is that we want some of that adversity, want some of that conflict. So um, we do get uh, we do get Restaurant Wars a little bit early. But I will say, Kevin, you can do whatever you want. But only three people have won an episode this season. It's been Kevin, Gregory, and Melissa. Everyone else has been in the middle or the bottom this season. There have been only three winners. And I'm pretty sure that this has never happened through seven episodes in Top Chef. Right. There have been nine winners. Each has three. And that is – we talked about the tiers a couple weeks ago. They've become even more pronounced. There are three chefs who are decidedly better. I want to talk about a fourth chef, and we did it a little bit last week. You know, in some respects, Brian Valtaggio is not underperforming. We picked him fifth in the draft. He is currently fourth in our scoring system. And yet somehow he feels like a disappointment. And I, I think it's, it, there's, there's just something a little ominous uh, th- th- that he seems to – and again, I, I mentioned that he doesn't kind of – he doesn't get the sweet spot of any challenge – He's cooking well, but it's always a little off-center relative to what the assignment is. Um, yet it's not – you know, it's funny. Generally, when we talk about a chef who's coloring outside the lines, it's because, oh, they need some editing. No, he's as structured and as precise as always. It's just he's not – it's like a great writer who hears the assignment and he turns in and files something really good, but this is not what we ask for. Mm. And and so I think – but Voltaggio is an interesting – I think he's emerged by virtue of his – well, whether it's underperformance or just performance, one of the more interesting chefs in this competition. Yeah, I'm with you. I think his taco dish was evidence of what his problem is, is he's he's going over the top fancy, formal. Um, and I think that is like fine dining Brian Voltaggio just going a little too far and not focusing more of his energy on – doing the challenge and focusing on the spirit of the challenge. So he did a salmon, uh, a filet of salmon taco with salmon roe on top of it. Now, Kevin, I love me some salmon. I love me some salmon roe. I love me some taco, but all three, it doesn't really work because I think he overthinks or, or tries to make it an elevated dish times a multiplier of 10. And I think for Voltaggio, that energy he's focusing on in terms of elevating a concept needs to be muted a little bit and just focusing on, okay, how do I make the best dish for this, uh, this, this challenge? Right. I mean, work to a challenge is strengths. And the, and the strength of this challenge was, I mean, tacos are, are, are really savory. They're, they're, they're not, there's nothing elegant about them. Uh, yeah, there are some elevated street tacos. I mean, you know, one of my favorite places here in town is Guisados. You know, you get a little, uh, you know, a, a fun mole or a fun crema on top. But at the end of the day, it's still savory meat yeah. um, that is grilled, right? I mean, uh, and, and I loved, you know, it's funny, Kevin didn't place in the challenge, but I love the Al Pastor. You know, mix it up with a little banana rather than the pineapple that accompanies Al Pastor. Um, we'll go quickly this because I, I don't, I don't want to bog down. I, I'd love just to kind of talk with Eric. So uh, I don't want to um, uh, spend too much time there with him on, on the, so let's do the quick fire. Now, you know, Leanne, Karen and Stephanie play Stephanie. Good for her that she got immunity and boy, did she need it. Um, but she came out with lambs, cucumbers, did a, her own fresh masa corn tortilla and she buys herself a week. And what's funny about Stephanie is Tom, she ain't going to go home next week. You know why? She's going to be a line cook. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. She and, and it's funny because and I'm not I'm not trying to uh, I'm not trying to drag Stephanie. She's she's my contestant. I, I've been very favorable on her. I think she has serious limitations that are going to prevent her from from making it all the way to the final four. But but it, it, next week's going to be interesting because who's going to be on the chopping block? It's going to be front of the house and it's going to be executive chef. Tom, I, I would bet my house on the fact <laughs> that no line chef is going home because no line chef ever goes home on restaurant. What if she uh, volunteers to be front of house? I think we saw in the preview, it looks like Malarkey, who, by the way, perfect. Yeah. He ain't going home either because like <laughs> that guy's going to be great in the front of the house. Like he's Mr. Front of the House. He reminds me of Uncle Saul. So – I grew up, as I've mentioned on this show, uh, my my aunts and uncles had the definitive Jewish deli in Atlanta for the better part of 60 years. And it was my Uncle Dave just slaving behind the counter. I mean that guy was cutting pastrami. He was cutting corned beef. I mean Dave was just he, – he was logging innings. And my Aunt Rini was on the, on the cash register and my Aunt Fran was sort of – um, kind of expediting and kind of just keeping the – she was the glue man mm. uh, and – what was Uncle Saul doing? Just glad handing with all the folks from Buckhead, just like schmoozing it up at the front of the house while Dave was back there schwitzing. And that's going to be malarkey next week. We won't, I mean, I'm not going to project because we'll have plenty to talk about next week, but I think we see Karen at the front of the house. She, she runs the restaurant and uh, it looks like obviously we know who our exec chefs will be. So it'll be very interesting kind of uh, how sort of the line chefs just skate by. And, uh, you know, Stephanie's going to be in the final seven, even though she has, you know, serious difficulties. Uh, one last point before we go to, to, to Eric. Um, my Eric, Schwartzel, brought up a really good point um, just about Top Chef and reality competition shows in general. Uh, which is we're starting to see the shark tankization of reality TV. Yes. Uh, you I, know, yep, I have this in my notes. It's a great, great point. You know, yep. uh, he was watching a show that I, I wasn't familiar with called Making the Cut, which is essentially top chef for dress designers. Um, uh, really well thought of show. I, I think if you are a reality competition person, it's just I, I don't have room in my life for more than one. Um, and, and sure enough, what Eric was explaining was it, it, it's all about, oh, which – contestants going to have the line that you'll sell on Amazon, right? And, and we've already seen in this ep- season of Top Chef, hey, what product are you going to make for the masses that can go on a shelf and, and sell like gangbusters? Right now, it's only a notion, but I think I can get money to make it into a concept and then later turn it into an idea. Restaurant Wars this year is not just a creative endeavor. It's, hey, pitch us. And, and by and large, I mean, the chefs were judged in, in many respects on the quality of their pitch. So it is very, it's all about the business now. Um, not all, but but increasingly relative to the early seasons of Top Chef, and we're seeing it across reality TV, it's the, the influence of, of Shark Tank, entrepreneurship entering the competition in a way that it hadn't previously. I think it might be because of just branding in general is like you you're have to come up with a brand. You have to sell your brand, and I think that it's honing down on that idea. Is that the brandification of of just everything in in culture, pop culture now? So I think it speaks to like distill down your brand, what your identity comes from, and pitch it. And I think that's where this episode went to. And and I think we we actually had it a couple of weeks ago too with the with the loved one episode. Is that they had to do a Shark yeah, Tank again. And and it's just it, it's so we've had you know essentially seven weeks I believe and and you know twenty eight point six percent of them 
you know, essentially, hey, w- w- what's your business look like? Yes. Um, and again, I, I don't know that I have a problem with it. It's just an interesting feature to the show. And again, I think you're right. Like this is the culture, right? You're you're a brand. I mean, we see it in the NBA all the time. I mean, these guys are brand obsessed. And and, and you know what? All power to them. You know, you've got your, you know, it, that that is that is the game. Um, you're no longer just a craftsman. You are a full fledged brand and a full fledged business. So on that note, um, let's bring on Chef Eric onto the show. And just for uh, people who don't know. Um, We've had him on the show before, and he is just awesome. Big NBA fan, so we'll probably hit that a little bit, but mostly so much we want to get in with uh, with Eric here. And um, man, I, <laughs> what an episode! <laughs> we haven't even talked about it, but man, I can't wait to talk to Eric about what happened and just the whole season in general. So yeah, and by the way, thank you, Eric, for being a good sport. I, I suspect it's a little humbling coming on the week you get eliminated, and I, I just want to thank. Eric in advance for I just think it's super cool that hey I'll, you know I'll come on even though it was arguably my worst weekend in, <laughs> in, in top my stop chef career. Geez, my feet haven't touched pavement since I reached Los Angeles. Well, will you take a meeting with? Me? I'll take a meeting with you if you'll take a meeting with Freddie. I took a meeting with Freddie. Freddie took a meeting with Charlie. You take a meeting with him. All the good meetings are taken. Yeah, we're joined right now. By Chef Eric. This is, you know, I was just saying to the audience, uh, thank you for being a good sport. I imagine, you know, coming on the week you're eliminated, uh, you know, I was hoping you'd be able to come on and take a victory lap. But uh, so, so thank you for, I mean, just a, what, a, what a classy thing. And I, and uh, so thank you for, for subjecting yourself to us. <laughs> it's easy, guys. No, you guys are uh, a lot of fun to talk to. So uh, whether it be a week that I just got eliminated or one that won, um, I'm, I'm always happy to talk to you guys. How are you guys doing? We're, we're good. We're great. Good. Um, we, we just did like a 15 minute recap of the episode, just big themes, but it's a whole big chunk of this episode and this, this season that, uh, that is Eric Ajapong. So, uh, we can't wait to talk to you. And I just remember Michael Jordan had to talk after losing to the Pistons for three seasons in a row. So guess what? Eric Ajapong here at the podium. You are our Michael Jordan. So thank you for I'll even though. We we had scheduled this for the listeners. Right. Uh, we had scheduled this a couple weeks ago, and Kevin and I and Eric are on a text chain, and we're shooting the shit about the NBA and Top Chef, whatever it is. And I just said, "Hey, Restaurant Wars, I want you on the show." And you were like, "Let's do it. I'm game." You have a good poker face, man, because <laughs> you didn't let us in on any of what just happened. I couldn't have, man. I think um, they they have a pretty high bounty on our heads if we uh, let out any information. So um, I try to keep things lock and key. But um, but no, man, I, I knew exactly what was going to happen this week, obviously. But um, either way, man, again, it's just always good to talk to you guys. So I, I had to keep a straight face as much as possible. Yeah. Was it a good season for you? I mean, I, I mean, notwithstanding the... Uh, I mean, the earlier elimination than you wanted. I, I just, it's such an interest. I mean, God, there's a lot of talent on that, on that show this year. I mean, it's crazy. It's uh it was a good season, man. You have no idea. The talent pool was just insane. Obviously this is the second time, uh, you know, the, the group, the franchise is doing an all-star season. So they didn't want to pull any punches with this one. Um, so man, I just said like out of all the 14 of the chefs that I competed against, like anybody could have had, an easy path to, uh, uh, to, to winning the entire thing. So, I mean, the competition was steep. The, the, the challenges were even insane too, man. The amount of volume we were doing so early, 
Um, and then I think the third thing was was really impressive to me was just the caliber of chefs that they had to judge. Oh yeah, I mean as early as week one and two. Like on the beach, it was it was a '92 Dream Team. <laughs> <laughs> exactly that, man. So it was. Um, I mean, there's really not a lot of wool you can pull over the uh, the judges' eyes or anybody's eyes, honestly. Um, and, and I think uh, every little mistake, um, big or small, is is really something to to talk about and and could quite possibly put you on the bottom. It was not all for lost. Oh, for not because you you had seven episodes on the show and you might have been knocked out just before the full blown restaurant wars. But Eric, in a couple episodes ago, you were able to cook with your wife Janelle, and not only that, like of all the things that you could do on Top Chef, that's got to be right (laughs) there at the top. But secondly, this was the seed of your new restaurant, right? Like this, your new restaurant in DC. A, you get to cook with your wife, which has got to be a top t- top ten, top five moment of your life. And B, you got the germination of this new food concept that is going to be opening. So, man, that's got to feel good in the end. Yeah, man, absolutely, and that's a that's a good call. I mean, I had in mind to do the concept for some time, and when the opportunity kind of uh, presented itself, by um, I, I knew that if I could make the double to dish, um, I, I would. Uh, so when, you know, we were kind of pitching a, a product and I was like, you know, this would be a perfect opportunity to do so. And I'm really glad I did it. And it was so crazy that my wife was with me the entire time. I mean, um, it felt it felt oddly familiar, but extremely weird at the same time. And and as intense as you can imagine, I mean, still have cameras and still like challenge mode. It's still it's still go, go, go. Uh, but to have my wife and, and kind of have that sense of calm right next to me, I think definitely helped out for sure. Um, but, yeah, the doubles dish. Uh, it did well um, and really gave me the battery behind my back to to let me know, like, hey, I can really make this fly and really, you know, uh, this has some legs behind it. Yeah. One thing I was noting that week is it looks beautiful in the bottle. Like, it's just it, – it Oh, is man. A, thank you. You know, it's <laughs> like there, there are certain foods or sauces or condiments you just gravitate to because, um, I mean – they're gorgeous. Like food is ultimately an aesthetic object sure. and your, your stuff looks great. And it, and it's just, um, yeah, I, 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 and, and by the way, it, 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 uh, it, it was fun to see that because I, I do think one of the judges, I think it was Gail said that was a week you were in your happy place. And, and one of the things I think with you is not just your wife being there, but, but I, I think you are great at a singular bite. Like I was going back to that oyster yeah, last yeah. season, like that yeah. drumlet at Rupp Arena. Mm. Like, oh. like you know, it is you are like who the, the fufu plantain dumpling. You know, yeah, like yeah, you yeah. are you are the like you are Mister Bite. It, it's just like that that singular thing where you bring in just just at, you know zest and, yeah, and, and personal yeah. expression, like the stuff you love doing. And I just love seeing you in that context. Man, that's a really good call, Kev. I think you're absolutely right with that. Like, I, I really relished in those challenges where it was just like, hey, put as much flavor, um, really tell a story, uh, let it be concise, but also let it just be like impactful, flavorful, um, and, and really gets to you. So uh, I, I did well with those, um, and 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 the ones in between, I either got in the middle or or I ended up on the bottom. But it was um, it was it was an all around just uh, fun experience. Even both seasons, man, it's kind of crazy because I look at both seasons now together. Even though they're you know two separate, clearly t- separate things happen. It's it's just all kind of muddled in together now for me. But uh, it's a good call, man. It's a, you're absolutely right with that. I want to just start with this episode here. Uh, we did a quick yeah. re- recap at the top. You seemed exhausted. 
Jeez. <laughs> you seemed I'm like tired. you seemed like it seemed like you pulled an all-nighter for like three three days in going into this one. What, Absolutely. What, so paint, paint us the picture. What was going on this this episode? Uh, the machete, quick fire, and then the the make your pitch uh, to the crew. So for for a lot of folks that don't know, like the the behind the scenes with Top Chef, it's it's shot um, uh, shot congruently. So there's not like a week in between, just kind of like how you view it. Um, so I just remember the past challenge, just like the double elimination. I think it was, uh, Karen and Nini that had, yeah. uh, uh, gone up against, uh, Brian and I, and <laughs> generally I was tired. Like I, I just ran out of gas, man. I really did. And it's not, uh, uh in a, like an entire excuse. Cause everyone is tired at this point. Everyone's just like physically, mentally exhausted. Um, they co- try to give us days in between to kind of catch up, but you're still working in between. How late was um, and, that and when it came, double elimination episode was? Because I, I think I think Karen yeah. had mentioned that while you guys were cooking, she was – or going, yes. while you guys were sleeping yes. after that double elimination, mm-hmm. she was still in Last Chance Kitchen. She was still going. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, that right there is probably one of the most impressive feats. It probably won't get caught over um, by, the, by the season's end, but like as, you, as far as like individual feats throughout the entire season from any cast member, what Karen did in that like 24, even less than 24-hour span was insane. To do the double elimination – fight your way back through Last Dance Kitchen to make yourself, uh, 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 I guess, bring yourself back onto the competition in and of itself is like a beast. So when I saw her uh, come back, I was one, not surprised because she's, she's an amazing chef, but just like really impressed by like, dude, like you, that was the gauntlet right there. And I couldn't, I mean, now just going through what I was feeling, um, it was intense. I mean, so the mood board situation, that took way too much time for me. Um, I, I spent, I was probably the last person go to sleep. It was me and Greg, I remember, um, talking it over and I, I might've gotten all but like an hour and a half of rest, no. um, that night, just focused on the mood board, really just trying to put those pieces together. And then just thinking in retrospect that that clearly was the Achilles seal throughout the day. Like, um, it, it, it bled into the cook, it bled into the pitch, it bled into literally everything the entire day, the, the quick fire. Um, I, I mean, every, again, like everyone is tired, but it really, really like that. I I was running on E man and it it showed for sure. You know, it's, we love anytime we can fit in a basketball metaphor. And one of the things you said at the judges table was, you know, I I wasn't in rhythm and like it immediately spoke to me just because you, you see on like good weeks where, or hell, I mean, even when you're at home, like, like that beautiful thing on a cook where, just as one task is done, mm-hmm. like it's the perfect timing. Oh, good. That, that, that's great because now I need to move to this task right at this moment. And like that ultimately is a – it is – cooking is a rhythmic task. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. I mean and it goes back into just even like you mentioned in any sort of basketball reference. When you see a shooter hot for three or four days, um, there, there's clearly a zone that they're in. There's clearly a rhythm that they're in. And – same thing with Top Chef. Like everyone for, you know, wherever they're at individually is is kind of picking up the rhythm, whether they're in it, they're feeling it, um, or they might just be on the tail end of it, uh, to be honest. So um, I, I myself, man, I just was trying to find something to keep me going. I mean, the challenges themselves are pretty intense. So if that's not firing, firing up, then I'm not sure what is. Um, and, and it did. I was ready to go. My concept was in mind. I felt strong about it. But it just was not just clicking the entire day, man. And and to be honest, man, those are those are the little things that kind of eliminate chefs every season. I feel like 
uh, if we if we have a cast of 15 people, let's just say for 16, 17 seasons, two or three of those people um, in each season are going to get kicked off because of those mental errors, those mental lapses that, you know, not being in rhythm. And that just kind of happens. And I think I was just, I, I really fell into that, uh, that whole mix. Yeah, I was thinking like, the margins on this season are crazy. Oh my Tom, goodness. Tom, yeah. Like, like if you nail that duck, you ain't going home. No, 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 no. I mean, you, you, I, there's confidence in that. I mean, I had two dishes too. And that was probably another thing that there was not a lot of self editing. Um, when I realized like I'm behind the clock, my prep is not anywhere where I want it to be. Um, I had the option to continue to do like either both dishes or one and just locked into just stupidity, I guess at this point, but I just really was committed to, to really showcasing two dishes and, you know, editing yourself is, is huge. It's a huge kind of a plus that you can do or have um, when you're on the competition. It's just like, you know, what, pause, try to regroup, um, try to figure out where you're at and how you can probably make this situation the best that it, you know, it could be. Was there any funny machete stories that we didn't get to see? <laughs> um Probably in the beginning, you know what there was uh, before the before it was actually revealed, there was a box covering everything, and I, I remember there was like Padma was there and she was like trying to tug on the the, sh- the string. Oh yeah, it was like a contraption. Kind of, yeah, 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 a little contraption thing, and that that took a while. That took a few takes. I remember. So we were like, <laughs> yeah, the, on the judges' side, I mean, the, the chef side, we we're all kind of like what the hell is going on? We were anticipating something. And then like every three pulls, it just wouldn't come down. So after like 30 minutes or so, or 20 minutes on our side that you clearly didn't see on TV, we found out that we're cooking with machetes and it's like, all right, great. <laughs> Did you, have you ever worked with a machete before? Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about butcher box. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum-sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. I have, man, I have, but not to that degree. Um it's it's not the same when you're you know trying to cut bush or you're trying to like you know make a trail or something <laughs> like that uh, versus trying to like finesse a, a mango and trying to brunoise some shallots or whatever. That's completely two different skill sets, man. So um, <laughs> I, I definitely am comfortable with one, but I don't think I think well I think everyone got caught off guard um, just trying to make that machete work. Eric, I I just want to ask 
where are your box box out skills? Where what what's going on here? Because in the quick fires, it feels like people are beating you to the punch, <laughs> and you're a, you're a big time athlete. I can I can I know that you know how to box people out. And in, in this machete episode, it's same deal. Is I feel like you're one of the last few people to get your utensil, you get your product. So what's go what's happening here? We need to get you in a in a room with you, Charles Barkley. You know, clearly Ben Wallace or Rodman, neither. Um, <laughs> it's it's funny, man. Like I I. I always keep in mind not to look like an idiot on TV because I, <laughs> for whatever reason, I have in mind um, this is going to air eventually, and I'm not trying to push any old ladies out the way or uh, uh, step on any toes either no, way. It's, it's so I mean, you I, win. I, this is Top Chef, baby. It is, man. It is. It is. And I, I to be honest, man, I'm Tom. I'm like, if it's if it's for me, it's for me. If it's not, then I'll move on to the next and try to make it as delicious <laughs> as possible. So <laughs> that was my whole mindset, man. Not just like to stomp on anybody, not to. Cause I am a pretty big dude. And then can you imagine like on the, the reverse, like, man, Eric really, you know, just dunked oh, on her man. while trying to get some, <laughs> some product or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Among the chefs who like, when you talk about that rhythm, you talk about just, just, you look over at the station and it is, it is, it is like, um, it is the Terminator. Like yeah, it, it yeah. is a robe. Who is the most like robot impressive, like it just effortless in terms of prep. I'm not talking about the final product. I'm just talking about process. Man, um, watching watching Melissa work was yeah. pretty. Like it was beautiful, man. She she's a swan. Like she she really is. Like there's no wasted efforts. I think that's probably the most impressive thing. Like she goes to one direction of the kitchen, um, and you're not going to see her there again because she got everything that she needed, and she's she's back there. And that that like those little bits of like two seconds, three seconds, maybe 10 second pops saves you a bunch of time when it just comes to like plating and, and getting down to your dish and focusing. So it was really impressive to watch her, to, to watch her prep. Um, I, I really enjoyed watching Stephanie as well. She was, um, it's, it's cool to watch her kind of think through her dish as she's cooking it. Um, so she's either like talking herself into something completely amazing or talking out of herself, you know, talking herself out of something as well. So it was awesome uh, watching her cook. Ah oh, man, you said you were late at night with with Gregory. Were you guys close on this show? For sure. Um, Greg was a, an awesome uh, a sounding board for me, and um, it, it was cool because I admired him for some time um, before the, the entire show started. We never really like we you know Instagram friends or whatever, um, but it wasn't anything like serious. And by the time I started speaking to him when the competition started, it was kind of like a it was kind of like when you speak to someone and you know them for a while. It was it was pretty cool. So. Greg was awesome. He was a great sounding board. And, and, and same thing for me. Like he, he threw ideas at me and, um, you know, we edited each other uh, as much as possible. So he was really cool, man. He's an awesome chef. Um, and he's another person who's really, really great to watch as well. Cook. Yeah. It's like, I always say he, he he's like error free ball, you know, like, like, like yeah. he's like the spurs of, of, you know, the, 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 the 15 spurs. Not spurs. a lot like, of turnovers. Yeah, for right? sure. Like, like it's just, it, it's just like, <laughs> It, and it's, it's it's never too complicated and never too yep. simple. Like it's it's yep. sweet spot every time. Absolutely. Hey Eric, when did you find out you're going to be a part of this show? And uh, can you walk us through the thought process on coming back to Top Chef? <laughs> it was like a week after the season. Really? <laughs> no, um, <laughs> no, it was it was some time after, man. It was probably like a I would say four to five months. Um, once season sixteen was over, they reached out. Um, and I kind of had an idea that was, you know, floating amongst the uh, the Top Chef alum that they were thinking about doing uh, an All Star season. Um, so getting that call again, um, I kind of expected it. And you know, they they asked me 
took about a week to think about it. Um, and <laughs> it was a week that it was just mostly me thinking, but my wife was like, no, go for it, do it. Um, and I, I made it happen. So it was, uh, it was cool, man. I think we, man, I fucking remember we were in New York, um, just doing like the, the pre casting, um, spiel and all that stuff and got to see some other contestants that could, could possibly not be on. Um, so kind of gauging the, the, the competition as, you know, before everything really started. Um, and then we flew out to LA and that was that man, like that first episode when we were, um, in front of Gail and Tom and we were, uh, what was it? The segmenting oranges and artichokes mm -hmm. and the, uh, the almonds. That was, uh, that was literally the first time we saw everyone up front and it was like, Oh, okay, cool. This is, this is who I'm up against. Oh, so you didn't know who you were going against. Nah, not at all, man. I had, I had uh, Nini. I knew Nini was going to be on. Um, and I heard rumblings of other people. I heard rumblings of Brian Voltaggio. Um, I heard rumblings <laughs> of Leanne. The rumblings. Uh, but the rumblings, man. Yeah. They, um, other than that, man, it was, it was pretty much just all surprise once we got there. It's funny. It's like a there's not a lot of conflict. I mean, I mean, Malarkey plays a character, and there's good <laughs> shtick there. But I always, get, I like, I kind of get the sense that everybody sort of like he knows it's shtick. It's sort of part of the. Oh yeah, it, yeah, yeah, and like that he's totally. almost kind of lovably eccentric. And he's the and, the greatest showman. He's the greatest showman. Yeah. Malarkey is. Uh, he definitely puts his best before. But you're right, man. There was not a lot of conflict in there. Uh, at this point in our careers, though, you got to imagine like everyone's everyone's been you know ten plus years, twenty plus years in the game. Um, we know what we want out of this. This is our either second or third time uh, around for, for, you know, competing on top chef. So there really wasn't much, um, that anyone felt like they could pull that anyone else didn't really expect or knew or, you know what I mean? So it was really just focusing on the competition, um, and really doing your best. So the integrity was high and I love that. Um, it's a great atmosphere to cook in as well. I, I actually kind of feel like there wasn't much, I mean, for all of the talent on the show, there weren't huge egos. Like when you talk about Gregory, mm. he was trying to uh, collaborate with Nini and Stephanie and you. Right. Yep. There weren't a lot of huge personalities who were like, fuck y'all, I'm going to do my stuff. And it seemed like, yes, you had really big, successful, big name chefs, but they seemed to be team players like Voltaggio, Melissa. Right. Uh, it seemed like people got along. And I know people at home might want to feel like, Hey, this is a this should be a soap opera. We want that conflict. We want the, <laughs> the reality TV show at each other's necks. But I think they did yeah. an incredible job of casting this season in terms of um, people who are willing to work together. Because on a, in the first five five episodes, it's a lot of team play. Yeah, good call. It is, um, and you learn quickly about yourself and. And it's an ego kind of, um, like you mentioned, you're, you're obviously you want to impart and, and put as much of your flavor and spin on whatever dish that you're doing as a team. But then you really think about like, this is a team project and they're really looking for, uh, an inclusiveness from everyone. So you can't necessarily be too loud or you can't have, uh, too much of a say because that's, that's a criteria that they're looking for specifically. And again, we've all been through this, uh, this gauntlet of top chef and we know how team challenges versus solo challenges work. Uh, so if you're not including that team aspect and really trying to get everybody in sync, they'll call you out for it. And, you know, I think one, one episode was, um, the, uh, the vegetarian, uh, what we had to do the, uh, the, the tasting menu. Um, and that was, that was it right there. Like you can see the other team, um, they didn't really collaborate as well as far oh, as like, <laughs> um, as far as collaborating on the, the, the cohesiveness and kind of like the uh, progression of the menu, 
Um, so those are the little things. And, and I'm pretty sure just single bites, if everyone was to serve that dish, um, you know, as their own, it would have been an incredible kind of, you know, uh, progression in the menu. But they were specifically looking for um, that one voice, that one sound, um, and, and they called them out for it. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I think it speaks to the enduring quality of the show because, like, I was an early Survivor fan, and, and you watched it for the conflict. And I, uh, this show has gotten so good at what it does. The competitions in and of themselves are so interesting. Like, you don't feel deprived because people aren't motherfucking each other. And, and I think Correct. like it, yeah. it just it, I think it speaks to the quality. Like, like they've gotten really good at producing this show, like even relative to like, you know, middle seasons. Like they are just a well-oiled machine. Yeah, Magical Elves, they don't play any games, man. They they they're a professional group and um they they know exactly what they want. I think um what's most impressive another thing is not only just the chefs but watching them work behind the cameras, uh, the the audio team, the visual team, they're just kind of directing everything, the producers, like it's a true production and um like you said, they don't they don't really hold back and um they they put out a great product and it's no surprise that uh, you know, they're nominated um, every single year for this Emmy. Like, it's a true competition show. They want to see the best out of the chefs. Um, and, and they really want us to put, you know, the best dishes that we can out there. So they, they give us all the tools, um, at least they try to, uh, for us to, to succeed in that in that effort, man. And it's it's cool. It really shows. You know, it's, so, it's, it's interesting. I love this idea of conveying historical narrative through a meal. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, look, every chef has a point of view and it's, it's almost a, a cliche of cooking. Um, every chef, you know, to some extent tells a story. Um, but I, I love the fact that, I mean, the fact is that's not necessarily your story. I mean, I mean, you're kind of, your desire is to elevate that even, like even further that, that you're going to tell an all encompassing historical narrative. I just think, I just, I think it's so interesting. Yeah, I think I think so too, man. And thank you. I, um, it's it's one of those things where it's a mix of just my culture, my heritage, uh, where I grew up from, and then and also these things that I've captured along the way as far as knowledge and and, and understanding how the diaspora works and um, what foods we're eating. And essentially, everything is the same. So I figured, I mean, why not? It's a it's a, it's an important story. It's a part of the American fabric. It's a part of the world fabric. And it's, it's, there's so much delicious food that comes from this area um, and this story specifically. So uh, it, it was one that, man, it's it, obviously, like you said, in season 16, I was really excited to, to showcase um, some of those things and some of those dishes. Um, and then having the opportunity to go ahead and, and do it again this season was really exciting for me, you know? Um, and I'm, I'm definitely continuing on and, and editing and, and, and polishing that, that concept up, um, along the way. So once we can kind of get back to normalcy and everything kind of dies down with, uh, with the virus, man, I'm really hoping to, to hit that full steam ahead. I, you know, you and I were texting last year about this. I still think, I think there's like an, a, a total like genre busting, cookbook here like do you know herman oh, yeah. bennett at, at, do you know herman bennett at cuny at city university of new no, york right, no so no his literal title is scholar of the african diaspora that's awesome like he's in new york and like that's i awesome. just think like you guys should team up like something that's like part history book i mean true history like like yeah, like, yeah. Like narrative through like I, I just think this is an I mean, of course, it's my idea, so it's awesome. Um, no, I just think this is a really like you're the guy to do it, and, and like team up, like like that guy. I mean, I think he got his doctorate at Duke. 
Um, I mean, he's just like, again, I mean, the guy is literally the scholar of the African diaspora and y'all should do it. Man, that sounds amazing. And I'd love, I'd love to take him up on that offer um, if he's available to do so. Cause you're right, man. It, it's not just uh, uh, like a spoken narrative. It's, it really is um, something that comes alive and it adds another dimension to experience when you can actually eat the food. And I don't think it's an avenue that's been explored as much. We've seen movies, we've seen that, you know, we've heard the stories and, you know, we, 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 we celebrate, um, um, you know, different pioneers, uh, you know, from, from the era, but the food isn't really, you know, um, celebrated or known. And I think that's something that, uh, it has so many, so many, so many notches to, to really go in and dive in. I think I view that on a menu, you know, how, how well we can change up the seasons and, and the food and, and the offerings and things like that. So pairing it up with history and, and, and really telling the story that's one authentic, but two delicious is like, that's that's man that's a no-brainer for me like you know i it's funny i i remember look i grew up in the south and so mm-hmm. you know driving to my grandparents house in charleston i mean you're passing plantations that's right but it, it's kind of the truth is is like it wasn't until i went to cape coast mm-hmm. in ghana mm-hmm. where and and you look at what they call like slave castles which is just mm-hmm. i mean haunting and right. kind of a ridiculous term i mean i i don't even under um but just the idea of rather than using destination, using origin, because it's just yes. something I think, look, I grew up in Atlanta. You're, you're steeped in that history as it begins in the 18th century or 17th century, but you don't go further back. I mean, and I, I just, I, there was always something a little unsatisfying. And I just think like going back through culinary experience, like going back to Cape coast is, just, Oh yeah. You know, totally. Totally, totally. That's a that's a really great point. I mean, and it's a it's a it's another way to um, even for folks who don't come from Atlanta and you know grew up in the South to really get a, a great true immersion of what the culture is, what the food is, um, what the people are about, uh, and what these stories you know can tell. So food is is a great kind of um, uh, olive branch, so to speak, um, and it, it's a great communal tool to bring people together, um, have conversations, and really like push that 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 narrative forward. So. Um, that's, I mean, that's essentially what I was trying to do. That's what I'm planning to do um, with with the restaurant, and I'm excited for it. I think um, since then I've been able to edit uh, 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 the menu, edit the the kind of focus uh, that I really want to have. So I'm excited to to let that news out whenever it's ready. Um, but man, I, I, I love the fact to to hear that from you, Kev, because that's that's essentially what I'm trying to wait, do. Wait, 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 wait. The news of what? So I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I have in mind to open this restaurant, man. It really is going to happen. Um, and, and that's, that's the, uh, that's the, the thing that's bubbling up right now. I mean, um, obviously I want the double as a focus. Um, but once this is all said and done, man, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to opening up this restaurant and, and really telling those stories, um, and, and presenting all that food and, and the style and service as well is what I'm really Really excited about as yes, well. Yes, but, but is it white glove or is it casual? Yeah. <laughs> that right there was uh, man, that was hilarious for me. But <laughs> it's it's gonna it's it's a little bit of both, man. I, and I I really I stand behind that because um, and one thing I I probably didn't do is just a the best job of explaining it. But I I really want the the, the service to feel as if you're coming back to your grandma's house. The service to feel like if you're coming back home. Um, but you're eating some some really refined plates, and um, and I think I've been to you know a few restaurants here in D.C. that kind of offer a very similar feel, whether it be like a Rose's Luxury, um, uh, uh, you know, Tail of Goat, um, spaces that you feel really comfortable in, 
I love that place. Yeah, but that that they still serve you um, a, a great plate of food um, or plates of food. So that's definitely the focus I have in mind, man, and, and not to, <laughs> not to be so white gloved and stuffy. Uh, so definitely a food. <laughs> when I'm watching you up on the uh, doing the pitch to the judges, um, you could sense that you were stressed just from trying to finish your dish, and you had it looked like Voltaggio uh, jumping in and helping you. Were there others that helped you try to finish plating? Leanne was right next to me. Yeah, she was right next to me, and she stopped what she was doing uh, because she knew that I was up. So it's what they didn't capture was that it was like a staggered kind of cook. Um, so I came yes, in I was ask you first yes, round. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I came in first round. It was Greg and I that started, started cooking. So by the time, um, at least the way the production set it up, by the time that I was ready to go up and present to the, uh, to the judges, uh, another round of chefs would have started coming in and starts, you know, their prep and their uh. amusement plots or whatever. So, so Leanne, she was just coming in to, you know, um, to start her dish. So she saw that I was essentially just down in the weeds and racing to get back into, um, a good timing and space to at least, you know, present to the, to the judges. So she helped me out. Brian was there to help out as well. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I was, man, frantic as hell just going up there. And that was not the space that I wanted to be in. And it's kind of funny because like, you know, when you're, um, <laughs> when you got a bad grade and you have to send that report card over, um, and you just, you're just kind of dreading it. That's essentially what it was. Like I knew the cook was bad. Um, and that bled into the pitch and, and essentially just, you know, ended chopping me and, and going home. There was a lot of it this season. One of the themes I kind of got was in every episode, it seemed you could see the judges as they're eating your food. And it mm-hmm. seemed like more so than in years past, you were in the kitchen able to kind of eavesdrop on True. the judges. Was that part of what the, what, I don't know what made this season even more stressful is not only are you going against the juggernauts, but you're yeah. also able to having struggling, I'm guessing to block out the noise yeah. and not focus too much on what the judges table is saying as we're eating your dish, man. And you know, it's funny. A lot of the noise is coming from yourself as well, especially when like perfect example, when I got eliminated, you know, I'm presenting food that I wasn't even, you know, I'm a hundred percent sure that this is going to be the most delicious plate of food that I served. So as I'm trying to pitch and I'm going, that's going through my head. It's just like, dude, it's crazy. Cause you're watching their expressions while oh. they're eating and asking you questions. And it's just, it's a painstaking kind of process. Imagine it really, watching really the teacher grading your paper. I would, I would oh, hate that. <laughs> when you know you failed, like, you know, that's, that's, that's the thing. Like, you know, you did a bad job. You know, you got under 60% or whatever the case is, 50%. Um, and you're just kind of waiting for that final, you know, that final mark, but you kind of have the answer before, you know, she gives you anything official. And that's literally what I felt like going up there. Like I just knew my, my cook was bad. Um, and, and it clearly just kind of just tore, you know, just tore through everything else. So I really felt uh, that when you were up there at the judges table and you're facing the music, I really felt that you, you know, I, I wrote this down is that there are two ways you can go at the judges table, one owning it or two, just yeah. being surprised. Wow. I, totally, totally. I, I thought this was a great dish. I, I Maybe you got a bad <laughs> bite and trying to, trying to pump up your, your dish by saying the judges were wrong in some sense. You didn't do that. You just completely owned it. Or, or number three, like the old school Jen Carroll, which is you people are fucking idiots. <laughs> that, that, that's the third question. Um, man, I, I, yeah, I definitely took the uh, the four. I, I couldn't, I couldn't like. I mean, I knew, I knew what the deal was. Um, and it was, it was crazy because when they, when they called, um, it was Stephanie, Leanne, and myself. Stephanie had uh, immunity, 
Yes. So it was really just a 50% toss at that point. And once it kind of happened, I didn't even know, to be honest, how Leanne's cook went. Um, her, her, um, when the judges deliberated with her, it didn't sound as bad as what they did for me. And that was just kind of like the, the, the tip, you know, for me. And I was just like, yeah, this is, this is it for me. So, um, it's a tough, it's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. What's the last chance kitchen, um, experience? Like I- I've come to love that segment. Like I, I it's like, I-, I like it just as much as the show now. And, and, um, and to, to, to rewind a little bit. Eric, just so you don't feel like you're divulging too much information. We know that like they line them up, boom, 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 boom. So it's not week to week to week. So this one was different though, because you're starting from a new segment of the last chance kitchen. So exactly, the timing yeah. of it, can you give us some insight on the timing of it and, and what you knew going into last chance kitchen? Exactly. Um, so my round, um, or when I got eliminated, the uh, like you mentioned, the Last Chance Kitchen kind of circuit started all over again. So it was Nini um, that was the first challenger. And to be honest, man, the, the entire kind of set is just, it's a completely different uh, cast of producers. Or, um, it's a just a different kind of group that's handling it. Um, and it's really Tom's domain. Like you see Tom light up. This is this is where he shines because it's, it's so crazy, man. Like he's he's stoic. He tries to keep to himself. He might crack a joke or two during like the actual competition. But when it comes to like, you know, last chance, he's he's alive, man. And it's so cool to see him kind of get in his element. Um, so Is that it was cool it. And- because he was grilling you, man. Like he was <laughs> the rhubarb. I was just cringing. I was like, oh, Tom is going in. And he he went in on Nini, too. He did. I mean, again, that's that's where he likes to. That's really where he likes to to cut his teeth, man. Like that's that's his space right there. So uh, you understand going in. That's the domain. Um, but to be honest, that was my first time in Last Chance Kitchen. I've never experienced it before. So I just went in to try to have as much fun as possible. Um, and and it's hard to not have fun when you're around needy too. So I trying to get back into it, but I was also like, you know what, man? Let's just cook the best plate of food I can. Um, crack some jokes in between. Nini's funny because, like, as Tom knows, I'm, I, I stand for Nini like every week. I'm still convinced she's the best <laughs> chef who like has gotten eliminated early twice. Like, I actually, I would think, say so. Yeah. Yep, I would definitely say so. I mean, Nini has the matzo ball soup was one of the most like ingenious things I've ever seen anybody do uh, or create on the show. Um, and, and watching her do that, and just how eclectic her brain is, and, and it comes to food, man, she's she's a joy to watch and be around. Uh, so yeah, it was it was a it was a no brainer to have. I mean, it's hard not to have a good time around Nini. She's she's truly one of the best chefs. Um, and like you said, to get eliminated um, as early as she has, like if there was ever a season of Top Chef uh, All Stars um, to get eliminated, like seriously right before they were you know about to peak, I think uh, Nini would be the first build to cast for sure. What is on on the list of cuisines? Where does Italian food rank on your most favorite go-to things to cook? Um, I would say top half, of, bottom half. Yeah, I would say top third. half. Easy, easy. Top half. I just made some fried diablo sauce um, with some scallops and shrimp uh, and linguine like two nights ago. So I'm I'm always in the bag um, as far as cooking Italian food. I just love the simplicity. Um, I'm a huge you know fan of just simple, simple, simple ingredients. Um, really speaking out for for the entire dish, and I think that's what Italian food uh, does really well. So it was um, <laughs> caught off guard with the uh, the last chance kitchen, um, and that's another thing too, man. Like there's zero room for any sort of conceptualization. I think that's where I work best. If I have 
uh, 30 minutes to an hour just to kind of think about what it is that I want to do. Um, I've noticed that at least I've, I've rendered myself, um, a little bit, uh, better than I have, if not, you know what I mean? So I'm, it's when you're in last chance kitchen, um, it's just go, go, go. And you're just really cooking um, off the hip. So it's, it was tough, man. What is quarantine cooking like for you? I mean, you know, there, there are a lot of us who it's kind of an opportunity, but it's also hard to get exactly what you need and you can't just run out to the grocery. Like, I mean, what, how's it been for you? It's been, uh, it's been good, you know, just catching up with, um, things that I haven't touched on in, in some time back in like culinary school. So a lot of baking is happening. It's the year of the yeast. Um, and I've, I've been, I've been baking like crazy. I just baked some cinnamon rolls. Um, so doing a lot of baking, uh, but when it comes to just like, uh, dishes that I can sustain for some time, two to three days is definitely what my focus is. Like you mentioned, can't really go to the, uh, to the grocery store, um, as often as I want to. Uh, Instacart has been like backed up for, for weeks now. So it's, there's no delivery happening neither. Um, so really just trying to utilize, um, and, 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 and stretch uh, the food out as much as possible. So luckily in my house, we're all, you know, non picky eaters and we'll, we'll eat for pretty much anything at, at the most part. So, um, it's easy to feed my family. My two year olds, um, or my almost two year old is, uh, she's probably the pickiest out of all of us, but she still does really well. <laughs> What what is um what is the viewing situation like for you versus last season? That one is completely different. Um, it's a lot of virtual. Like uh, <laughs> my my family has a group chat. Uh, we have a group chat as um, as Top Chef um, uh, alum from from season seventeen. So it's been cool, just kind of catching up, popping in and out with Twitter, um, almost like uh like the Grammys or the Oscars or like a live sporting event. It's really just a lot of you know, on one platform for like 30 seconds and then hopping on to the next, maybe doing a FaceTime in between for commercials or whatever. Um, so it's been a lot of, it's been a lot of that and a lot of data being eaten up in the house, but either way, um, it's cool. It's, it's, it's interesting, but I mean, I, it's, it's nothing that compute, you know, compares to being with amongst a bunch of people, um, and watching it as a group. That's, that was a lot of fun last year. So, um, definitely different times for sure, but, uh, either way, man, we're trying to enjoy it. What was your favorite episode to watch and to participate in. So there was the the first one, which is at the Griffith Observ- uh, Observatory. Then you go to the beach. Then there's the Jonathan Gold episode. Then there's um, the the art episode, which I, I did not love that one. Uh, then there's the Trolls, the Trolls episode when you had to do the veggies. Um, later in the day, you had to do the, the Loved Ones episode. Uh, and then two episodes ago, it was the Philharmonic, um, Las LA Philharmonic, Gustavo, our guy Gustavo. Um, and then this re- most recent one with, uh, Stephanie and Kevin Bame doing the, uh, doing the judges of, yes. your, of your pitch. So what episode stands out to you as favorite, least favorite things that stood out to you or things you want to kind of, the viewers at home didn't get a complete picture of what Eric did that episode that you want to straighten for the record. Oh man. Um, my favorite episode was definitely, um, or I say the favorite challenge was the, um, uh, when we had to do the, uh, the vegetarian, um, menu, that was, that was really cool. I think everyone was kind of in their element, felt really good about it. Really? Um, so it was, yeah, there was a good energy for sure. And it was not just me, like everyone, even though it was obviously an intense situation, um, it you was the dessert. No, a lot dessert. of I, I, I had I dessert. Yeah, exactly. I, I thought it was uh, it was cheating by you and, and Nini because most desserts <laughs> don't have meat in it. So you're basically running out your your best uh, your best dessert dish. 
Essentially, yeah. So that was probably one thing that uh, <laughs> when when they brought it up, I was excited to do dessert anyway, um, and I wanted to take it. But that's a really good point. I, you know, Nini herself, she's just like a pastry savant, so it was a no brainer for either one of us. Um, but then I think the most fun uh, we talked about a little bit is just the, the family challenge. That was cool to have everybody's uh, loved one come in. Um, take us some edge off as well um, during the competition and just kind of, you know, seeing people in their most natural element with people that they love the most. Um, episode that sucked for me was the last <laughs> for sure. Um, I just fell on my face, man. It, it was it was something that, uh, you know, it's funny because you hear the, the conversation about rest versus rust. Um, and I definitely think that, you know, the getting some more rest and, and, and some more reps in um or it's not rest but yeah getting some more reps uh some rest in would have definitely helped out um for for me just thinking in the long run but yeah it was it was tough man that was a that was a tough ch- challenge to, to be in and kind of again knowing how i was feeling uh before the day even started it, it definitely led into everything that we saw you know on 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 the television uh as far as things that get like man yeah straight for the record this is your straight chance. for the record your chance. I don't know, man. It was, it was, there wasn't a lot to be honest, man. I think there's so much that doesn't get caught. Like even you think about it, like uh, Tom coming in and, and, you know, during our challenges and and talking to us, you don't really see that happen often. I think it happened, might've, might've happened once uh, during the, uh, the museum challenge, but there was a lot of stuff that gets cut off, but it's also like a lot of stuff to, it's hard to remember, man. These days are like 18 hours long. They can be. Um, Who's your roommate? Just, Any, anything from the living <clears> situation? <throat> that It was uh, it was Kevin and Brian, Brian Voltaggio. So it was all three of us um, in a room. And that was great, man. Just watching those two freaking frack, man, just from season six, they were uh, hilarious to be around, um, obviously, because they knew each other and, and have worked with each other for so long. But um, it was cool to get to know Kevin on a personal side and, and Brian just to continue on our relationship and, and really, you know, deepen that. And that was, that was an awesome experience. So just living in the, in the house was pretty cool. And then right across the hall, um, we had Leanne, uh, Stephanie and Karen, Nini and uh, Melissa. Before we go, anything you care to share, care to plug? Um, man, just really bringing some awareness to, to the industry right now is, is, is definitely the, uh, the calling card for me. Um, a lot of us right now, as far as chefs and restaurateurs, um, necessarily can't see the light, you know, um, and really are trying to find some ways, uh, whether it be governmental assistance, um, or just even again, awareness to, um, uh, to the industry, man. I, I hope that we can all come back, um, stronger than ever once this is all said and done. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to, but yeah, um, James Beer Foundation. Yeah, what's sorry, the best way we can we can help? James Beer Foundation is doing an awesome job um, leading the industry. Uh, World Central Kitchen is doing a, a great job as well leading the industry. Uh, so catch up with them. Um, hop in on their websites. Try to figure out if there's anything that you can do as far as monetary donations, um, or just kind of bringing awareness to your congress, your local congressmen and women. So yes, uh, the James Beer Foundation and definitely World Central Kitchen for sure. Yeah, I I, I want to see everybody come back healthy. Um, all the restaurants, all the people sure, sure. associated with them. I mean, I I I. I I would be lying if I said I don't have great fear of what might happen to what I think has been just – I mean restaurants have been on a winning streak for 15, 20 yeah. years in this country. Yeah. I, I, I Just the amount of creative energy, I just don't want to see it go away. Like I, I don't want to drive down streets and see vacancies. I know, man. That's the scary thought about it. So um, we're, we're doing all that we can. Um, right now I'm working with a, a meal delivery service called Territory Foods. 
Um, and we're doing, we're giving proceeds to the uh, James Beer Foundation. Um, we're also doing donations for our first responders um, and just want to mention them and say thank you uh, as well. Uh, so yeah, man, just, just doing everything that I can um, from, from my home and quarantined and, and, and really just trying to make an impact. Um, but I can't wait to break out and serve some people, some doubles, some, uh, and, and, and expand on everything that's going on. And I'm really excited to, for the rest of the year, um, but excited to do it in a safe space. Good luck. Thank you a ton for joining us. Thank you, gentlemen. It was fun. That was great. Thank you so much. And, and hopefully your Knicks get back onto the floor and win the championship next year. <laughs> Shout out to RJ Barrett, man. RJ's taking us there. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks, Eric. Take care, bud. Tom Haberstro, any closing thoughts? Yeah, let's let's catch up on the uh, let's catch up on the scoreboard here because you had a great week, Kevin. You had uh, I finally won a week. You finally won a week, and uh, it was it was it was a rough one for me. So uh, Eric, not only did he get eliminated from the show, he got eliminated from Last Chance Kitchen too. So he got a minus six. But Kevin. All of your chefs had at least one point. You got the 10 points from Kevin Gillespie. You had Nini with a top finish in the uh, in the quick fire. Also, Karen, top finish in the quick fire. Stephanie gets immunity. Kevin, I just want to like recap here. That immunity might have been the biggest moment on the show so far, right? Like, cause you, like you said, it bought her some time, not just from this episode, but next episode too. So Stephanie's gonna be around for a bit, it looks like. Yeah, and, and I do think. She will be around, and as the challenges tend to get away from food fairs and towards singular plates, I'm curious to see because uh, I, I think I think she excels in that in, in that form. I mean, there's a lot of you can tell the collective respect for her, uh, but I I'm just I mean, watching Melissa, Gregory, and Kevin just ball out. I mean, they're just it, it's it's unbelievable. I don't know that we've ever seen a tear like this. It's incredible. Uh, I did some research here. So uh, of the last five seasons through seven episodes, here's how many winners, the number of winners we've seen. Last year, we saw through seven episodes, five different winners. Season before that, six. Season before that, six. Season before that, four. And season before that was eight. And that season was Melissa was in that season. And in the first seven episodes of that season, when there were eight winners, she was not one of them. She right. finished. I mean, she was. She, she was a fourth. hanging around contestant. She yes. was. That was her. That was her. So the fact that she is uh, not just getting the uh, the just admiration from Eric and the rest of the fans out there, but she is she is incredible, and she hung around, hung around, hung around. And then finally uh, started coming on at the end. But this season, she's been remarkable. So let's – let's a quick thing here. Brian Malarkey. Last two episodes has really come on and done a pretty good job here. Um, your thoughts after his performance this week? Well, yeah. If, if I'm looking correctly, he is right behind. I mean uh, – Gregory, in the last three weeks, Gregory and Kevin with 25 points, Melissa with 24. And then who's next? Brian Malarkey. So, look, he's a creative chef. The food tends to take taste good. I mean, we're seeing that. If he takes away two ingredients a dish, he's not going to go home. I, you know, I think he's going to do fine in the front of the house. Like famous last words, but I, I think he'll do a good job in the front of the house next week. You know, he he's... And again, as I told you, I'm acclimating to the shtick, but I don't see any back backsliding momentum for this guy. 
No, no, he's he's been uh, he's got 17 total points uh, in fifth place behind Brian Voltaggio, who's in a little bit of a rut here. Um, so I have uh, four chefs remaining. I have Gregory, Brian Voltaggio, Melissa, and Leanne. And you have Kevin, Nini, Karen, Stephanie, and Malarkey. So that right. is five episodes or five chefs to my four. You're down 93. I have 129, but the deficit is closing. You get 20 points for the first time clearing that 20-point plateau. And I had a measly 12, my season low 12. So you get a season high with 20, a season low for me. The gap is closing, Kevin, 129 to 93. Still got a whole lot of top yeah, chefs like, left this Like season. a glacier, it's closing. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's – um, Tom, excited for Restaurant Wars next week. The, I mean, it's come on. It's always the centerpiece episode, even more than the finale. Everybody loves Restaurant Wars. Uh, psyched that it's bound back down to two old school. Um, any closing thoughts from the closing thoughts? Uh, we have another guest lined up for next week that we're really excited about. And uh, big, big shout out to Eric for joining us again. And uh, really want, I really want to see this Restaurant Wars because, man, they, it never disappoints. And here we go with another twist. Can't wait for it, Kevin. For Tom Haberstrom, I'm Kevin Ornovitz. This is Pack Your Knives. <laughs>